One day the disciples uh, asked Jesus what things were going to be like at the end of the age when, when he returned and came back in glory. And Jesus told them a series of stories, and the stories were really parables. And if you're not familiar, Jesus told these stories, these parables that used common everyday things like sheep, goats, money, seeds, common everyday things to relate deep spiritual truths about the kingdom of God and about how we're called to live here and now. And uh, this morning, I want to share one of those parables with you that he told them. It comes in Matthew chapter 25, beginning in verse 14. If you have a Bible, I invite you to open up or Bible app. And uh, as always, we say, if you don't have a Bible, we have some free ones at the Welcome Center. We'd love for you to grab one on the way out because here uh, we believe God's Word is living and active, and it is God's gift to us. And so uh, this morning, hear these words from Matthew chapter 25. Jesus said again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. And then he went on his journey. The man who had received five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. And so also the one with two talents gained two more. But the man who received one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. And I just want to say here, in case you're not familiar, when the word talent is used here, this isn't like a talent, like in a talent show, like playing the kazoo, okay? This is a denomination of money um, back in their day. And a talent was worth a lot of money. It'd be worth about 15 to 20 years worth of wages for the average worker. So here, even the person who got one talent, we're talking about a lot of money. And the person who got five, that's about 100 years worth, worth of salary that the master gave to them. And so, uh, verse 19, after a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who'd received five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. The man with two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. And then the man who'd received one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you haven't sown and gathering where you haven't scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I haven't sown and gather where I haven't scattered seed? Well, then you, you should have put my money on deposit with the banker so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has 10 talents. For whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever doesn't have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And as I say after I read stories to my, my son Patrick back here, the end. And I don't think this was a story where, you know, the disciples were shouting amen at the end of it, or they were saying, teacher, tell us another feel-good story. I don't think they were saying, hey, let's make sure this gets in the children's Bible. 
I think they probably sat there after Jesus told them this story and probably had to think about it a little bit. Because this is a, it's a story, it's a pretty simple story, right? I mean, most of us can kind of understand uh, the big things in it, but, but it's a very serious story. It's a simple one, but it's, it's a very serious one, and it's a story that contains those words that I, I, I think most of us want to hear when uh, we have our funerals. When people are speaking at our funerals, and I think it contains those words we want to hear when we step into eternity, those words you might, might remember them from the parable, well done, good and faithful servant. Isn't that what you want to hear at the end of your days? Well done, good and faithful servant. It has those words we want to hear, but it also has those words we don't want to hear. Right? We don't want to hear, you wicked and lazy servant, depart from me. And whenever I read this parable, you know, it's a pretty common one if you've been in church a while. You know, we preach on it regularly. You know, whenever I read it, just like again, I'm like, man, it's kind of harsh, isn't it? Like this guy, man. Like, I mean, clearly the master trusted everybody. And so he, he gave them all money. I mean, even the guy who got one talent, 15 to 20 years worth of wages. Clearly he trusted them all. All the men came back with, with at least what had been given to them. None of them came back with less than they had been given. And, and I think sometimes I'm thinking about, you know, like me, if I were to give them this money, like if I came back after a number of years after giving somebody that much money and they hadn't gone to Harrah's and Cherokee and spent it all, like I'd be glad, right? Wouldn't you be glad? I mean, in our world where people spend freely, where there's so much consumer debt, like I would just be grateful if I came back years later and the person had my money and didn't lose any of it. And so we have to ask ourselves when we get to the end of this parable, like what's going on here? Why is this third guy so different than the other two? After all, he didn't lose any of the money. And I think, I think the difference in these three guys, particularly the third guy from the first two guys, is a difference that surrounds one word, and it's this word, entrusted. And this is a word you probably don't use very often in, in, in your everyday conversation, but it's a word that's important for this parable because I think it's a word that the first two guys understood what it meant, but I don't think the third guy really got what it meant to have something entrusted to him. And this is the name of the series we're going to be in in the month of, in the month of November. And in Webster's, I looked it up to see, see how Webster's defined it, and I like this definition. Webster says this, to entrust something to someone is to commit something to another with confidence. To commit something to another with confidence. And so it's a word that has two big ideas behind it. And the first is this, when, when you entrust something to someone, you retain ownership of it, right? You retain ownership of it and you're entrusting it to them. You're giving it to them to use for a certain time period. In this parable, the master said, hey, I'm going to come back one day. And so until the master came back, those servants were entrusted with this money. And so when you receive something that's been entrusted to you, you are not the owner of it. It's, it's really kind of on loan to you for a season and you're meant to manage it. It's not yours. You don't own it. So that's the first idea. And we see this, right? They were entrusted, these, these talents. It wasn't theirs. And then the second idea behind this word entrusted is that 
when, when the master entrusts something to them and when someone entrusts something to you, they're not entrusting it to you to do whatever you want to with it. They're entrusting it to you to really manage on their behalf, to manage it according to, to your will and to your ways. And so when the master gives them these talents, he's not just saying, hey, you know what, go and do whatever you want with them. He, he's saying, look, I'm entrusting them to you. When I come back, I'm going to have them back. And in the meantime, the implication is that they are to manage them like the master would want. And so when we get to the story, what happens is the first two guys, they understand what this word entrusted means. They understand it. They realize that, that this money is not their own, that the master has loaned it to them for a, for a time. And then they know that their master has certain things that he likes. They know that their master likes when people risk. They know that their master likes when people maximize the opportunities given to them. They know that their master uh, likes them to make the most of what they have. And so one guy, he goes out, he has five, and uh, he makes five more. We don't know exactly how he did it, but there was probably some risk involved in doubling it. Maybe he could have lost it, but he knew, I know the master wants me to take advantage of this opportunity while he's gone. And then there's the other guy. He has two. He does the same thing. He knows the master's heart. He knows the master's will and the master's way. And so he goes out and he doubles his. His go from two to four. They knew what the master wanted and they knew this stuff wasn't their own. And so they managed it on his behalf. But this third guy, this third guy, he got that it wasn't his own. But what we see is that he didn't really know the master as well as he thought he did. He didn't know the master's will. He didn't know the master's ways. And so he said, you know what? If somebody's given me 15 to 20 years worth of wages, he said, you know what? I need to do what I think is best. So, so he buried it in the ground. And he said, you know what? If somebody comes back in a few years and I give back what they gave me, like, you know what? I'd be happy. So he said, that's what I'm going to do on behalf of my master. He didn't even take it to the bank. And the banks in those days, that was still a little risky, right? They were, they were still in development. So he thought maybe we'll, we'll lose the money. And so he lived with this sense of scarcity. He lived with this sense of, of fear instead of faith. And he said, you know what? I'm going to play it safe with what the master has given me. But he miscalculated the master's will and the master's way. Maybe he didn't ask the master what he wanted him to do with the money before he left. So he did what he thought was best. And he heard those words, depart from me. And the other two guys heard those words, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. And when Jesus was, was telling this story, you know, it, he didn't usually just like tell ghost stories around the fire just to entertain people. Usually when Jesus was telling these stories, he was trying to teach his disciples things because he had a limited amount of time on earth that he knew. And so Jesus knew that, that like the master, one day he was going to depart. And eventually he would return. But he knew that he was entrusting something very important to his disciples. He was entrusting to them the future of the church. His mission and his ministry that would continue through them 
until he returned. And so Jesus wanted them to really understand and comprehend what it meant for something to be entrusted to them. And Matthew, who, who wrote down the story and recorded it for us, and, and now disciples for generations have read this, he knew that this wasn't just a story for those original 12 disciples. He knew this was a story for all of us because he knew that Jesus wanted to teach each of us who follow him some very important things. And I think one of the most important things Jesus is trying to teach us in this story is this. Everything in our lives has been entrusted to us by God. I think that's one of the things Jesus is trying to teach us here. Everything in our lives has been entrusted to us by God. And so that means two things. One, we aren't the owners of any of it. And two, we are to manage what he's entrusted to us according to his will and his ways. And in the parable, we see that the three guys, they all understood this first aspect. They all understood that they weren't the owners of anything. But I think, I think in our culture especially, today, like we, 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 we don't always get this first aspect that we aren't the owners of anything in our lives. Because I think a lot of times we tend to think, you know what? I've worked hard. I've, I've, I've made many sacrifices. I've, I've saved a lot over the years. I've been responsible. Everything I have, you know what? I deserve and I've earned in my life because I have worked hard. I built this. And so I can do whatever I want because this stuff is mine and I made it happen on my own. Right, our culture loves like self-made people. We love this idea and this idea creeps into our lives. We think that we are the owners of, of stuff in our lives, that we've earned it or we've deserved it. But, but the truth is, Jesus is telling us here, that's not the case. Everything in your life has been entrusted to you by God, our Heavenly Father. And we know this from Scripture. Psalm 24 verse 1 says this, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all who live in it. Deuteronomy 10, 14, To the Lord your God belongs the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth and everything in it. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 to 20, Paul writing here, he says, You are not your own. You were bought at a price. So this idea from Scripture, it, I mean, Jesus here in this parable, he's talking about money, but this idea is, is a lot bigger than money. Here, here Scripture is saying, you know what? Hey, your house, it belongs to God. Your car, it belongs to God. Your family, it belongs to God. Your children, they belong to God. Your intellect, it belongs to God. God is the owner of everything. Your spiritual gifts, your, your natural talents, all of it belongs to God and he has entrusted it to us for a season. All of us come into this world with empty hands and all of us leave this world with empty hands. And in between those two moments, he has entrusted every good gift to us. And I think during this month of November, I mean, that should lead us to gratitude, right? 
That should lead us to gratitude, to be, to be grateful to God and to say, God, you know what? I, I didn't earn all of this on my own. I didn't make this on my own. I couldn't do any of this without you. Thank you, God, for every good gift in my life because I recognize that it comes from you. It should lead us to gratitude and to thanksgiving, and it should also lead us to say to God, God, you know what? Since this stuff isn't mine, it's yours. How do you want me to manage what you've entrusted to me? It should lead us to ask that, that deeper question, that more difficult question. God, you know what? It's not about what I think is best with my money, what I think is best with my career, what I think is best with my future, my family. God, what do you think is best? And we should go to his word. We should pray for wisdom. We should say, God, you are our master. You are our Lord. Everything is a gift from you. How do you want us to steward what you've entrusted to us? Because we don't want to make the mistake like the third guy and think, you know what, we know what's best for us. We need to ask the master. During the series, we're going to be doing that. We're going to be looking at different scriptures that help provide wisdom about how we are to manage and to steward everything that God has entrusted to us. And this is important to get right in our lives. Because if we get it right, God's kingdom begins to expand. His rule and his reign and his fame increase. But if we get it wrong, things kind of begin to get complicated and things can go sideways very quickly. Um, and I'll illustrate that this morning. Um, I don't know if anybody here has glasses. Anybody here willing to entrust a pair of glasses to me for just a moment for a sermon illustration? Any, oh, oh, okay. All right. Okay. Thank you. I just need one pair. Thank you. Thank you, Ireland. Everybody give Ireland a round of applause. Wow. Are you Gen Z? Are you Gen Z? Yeah. yeah. I think she is. These are pretty cool. They're like blue at the bottom, brown at the top. You love, yeah. They're, uh, you, have, you have bad eyesight, okay? So I'm not going to wear these. I'm not going to wear these for long because they're going to give me a headache. So, so she's entrusted these to me. And... You know, I wonder <laughs> if I put them in this bag and then uh, you know, take them out. Uh-oh. Uh oh. How, how do you think that? How do you think that makes her feel? How does that make you feel, right, just watching that? <laughs> That's terrible, isn't it? Yeah. What do, you th- what do you think that does to our relationship, me and Ireland? You know, I always thought she's pretty cool. She's always liked me. What do you think that does to our relationship? Here, here you go. You can, you can have them back. Here you go. I can, okay, yeah, that was a setup, right? These are my glasses, okay? These are my glasses. I entrusted them to her, actually. For the illustration. But you get what I'm trying to say, don't you? Everything in our lives has been entrusted to us by God. And yet so often God gives us a business and we say, you know what, hey, I'm going to use this for my fame and for my renown and to make myself great. God gives us influence in our neighborhoods, in our cities, and we, 
we, we squander it. God gives us money and we waste it away on things that, that don't last past the next holiday season. God, God gives us intellect and, and we use it to build ourselves up instead of building his kingdom up. God gives us all of these different things and a lot of times we're not good stewards of them. And the good news of the gospel is that Jesus Christ came to forgive us when we fall short. When we, when we don't live as good stewards and when we don't do what God wants us to do, he forgives us. He offers us grace. He offers us second chances, third chances, and fourth chances. But, but Jesus, when he forgives us and empowers us, he, he's also inviting us to, to know him better, to search his word and to say, Master, what do you want? So that instead of things getting complicated and going sideways, instead things can go God's way. And God's kingdom can expand, his rule and his reign can increase. That's ultimately what God wants. He's given us everything for a season. And if this was an illustration of what, what not to do with what God has entrusted us, don't worry, they weren't very expensive glasses. I got them at the flea market yesterday, okay? Um, but for an illustration of what I think God does want us to do, I, I think there's a man named Humphrey Monmouth that I heard about recently when I was reading a book. I don't know if anybody's ever heard of Humphrey. Um, he lived in the 16th century. And he, he's not a very popular person because he's kind of one of the unsung heroes of the faith, particularly behind the Reformation that occurred around that time. And Humphrey was a rich man. He was a very wealthy man in England. He had a fleet of ships. He made a ton of money in the cloth industry. And he was a man of faith. And so he, he went to church regularly there in England. And one day, uh, he encountered on a Sunday morning a man named William Tyndale, who was preaching. And he and Tyndale kind of had a, had a connection. And Tyndale shared with him a vision that God had placed on his heart. And it was a vision to interpret... The, the Greek and Hebrew scriptures in their original languages into the English language so that everyday people could have access to the Bible and read it for themselves and come to know God's love through Jesus Christ. Now that sounds simple for us, but in that day and age it was a bit complicated because there were, there were institutions and people who didn't want people to have the Bible in English in their own homes. And so it was actually pretty much illegal at the time for Tyndale to translate the scriptures into English and to give them to other people. And so what he was doing wasn't really above board. And so what he was doing, like he couldn't make a lot of money off of it. And it would take a long time to, to read the scriptures, to understand the languages and to write the Bible in English, to translate it. And so he had this vision. Monmouth had these resources. And Monmouth said, you know what? I have a huge house. Why don't you come and live in my house so you don't have to pay rent anywhere? You can live in my house while you study and do this project. And then he said, you know what, actually, you know what, we have plenty of food. I have resources. I will cover your salary. I will kind of pay for, for your life while you're doing this important work of translating God's word for the people so that they might know God more. And so Tyndale began to do it. Word got out that he was on this project, so he had to flee the country and go to Europe. And eventually, Tyndale was ultimately martyred 
he was killed for his faith. Shortly after that, his project was finished by some other people. This was around when the printing press was coming of age. And so they got the Bible in printing presses in English. This was one of the first times it was going to be accessible for people. Monmouth said, you know what? I have ships. And so he began to ship God's word to people around the world so that they could read it on their own. And Monmouth understood the principle I'm talking about this morning, that everything he had was God's. He had a lot. But he said, God, I want to use it for your good, for your glory. Tyndale had a a great intellect. He could have made a lot of money doing a lot of things, but he said, God, I want to use this for your kingdom. And so when they came together, countless lives were changed, and 90% of the King James Version of the Bible is indebted to Tyndale's translation that Monmouth helped make happen. And when they stepped into eternity, I don't, I don't know exactly what transpired, but my guess is that, that each of them heard those words that we want to hear. Well done, good and faithful servant. And so this morning, I want to ask you, what has God entrusted to you? A job, gifts, skills, abilities. Maybe you've never thought this way, that, that these are all gifts from God. This morning, I want to invite you to give gratitude. Say, God, if all of this is yours, would your will be done? Would your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven? Let's pray and ask God to help us make that so. Heavenly Father, all we have is yours. You are our Lord. You are our master. You are a good, good father. And God, we thank you for all the good gifts. So often we confess that we look uh, with, with minds and hearts of scarcity at what we don't have compared to other people. We think, well, compared to them, I don't have much. Or compared to, to how I used to, to live, I don't have as much. But God, help us to be grateful for what we do have right now in this season. Help us to recognize that it's all been entrusted to us and give us wisdom, give us faith, give us the ability to steward it well and to understand what you want to do through us and in us, through our possessions, through our money, through our jobs, through our workplaces, through our homes, through this church. God, would you have your will? Would you have your way? Would you help us to be found faithful so that one day we too can hear those words, well done, good and faithful servants of Harvest Point. It's in Jesus' holy name we pray, amen. Amen.